Okay, welcome back to Refuting Calvinism YouTube channel. Uh, today's video is going to be a little bit different, as you can probably tell by the title, uh, than the usual video uploaded to this channel. <clears throat> Most videos on this channel are uh, gauged to be against Calvinism and its false doctrines. Today I'm going to address something different, um, something I've been accused of being several times, mostly by Calvinists, and there's many people who have understood me to be an open theist as well, uh, but I'm not, I never have been. <clears throat> so I kind of want to clear things up, and there's been a lot of people asking me questions about this lately, and why I'm not one, and, and uh, what my reasons for those are. And uh, so I wanted to make a little video here. It's not going to be real thorough. I'm not going to address all the objections that Open Theist raised to the, I guess, Arminian perspective. I'm not an Arminian, uh, but the Arminian perspective of exhausted foreknowledge and um, you know of course the difference that I have with Arminians I don't believe in original sin I believe in natural ability I don't believe in prevenient grace I believe in free will I don't believe in a born with sinful nature I believe in an acquired sinful nature over time through habitual sinning um, so there's issues that's why I'd say I'm not an Arminian but I do hold to the I guess you could say the Arminian view of this issue and um, just so you know, uh, the kind of the road I've been down for, with this issue of open theism is I've read a lot of books on it. I've done a lot of stuff. In fact, let me just show you some of the books I've read on it. Uh, I've read most of each of these books. First one is uh, by Greg Boyd, God of the Possible. I've read most of that one. Uh, then there's also, uh, and that's of course for open theism. And then I've also read most of this one, Does God Know the Future by Michael Saya. I heard that's from what my open theist friends say. That's probably the best one out there. Um, then I've read a couple books against it. Uh, Their God is Too Small by Bruce Ware. And, uh, and this is more of a polemic against uh, open theism. And then uh, Millard Erickson, uh, What Does God Know and When Does He Know It? That comes from the Against Open Theist crowd as well, but it's more of an ironic book. And then I've listened to lots of audios. I've watched uh, this DVD, A Debate on Open Theism, uh, with James White and John Sanders. And I thought both of them did horrible in that debate, to be honest with you. Uh, James White usually does pretty good in his debates. Um, of course, I don't agree with his theology, soteriology, which is obvious, but I do appreciate some of his other efforts he does uh, when it comes to debating. Uh, but I think he was pretty bad in this debate, to be honest with you. I thought both sides were pretty horrible. Not just because I disagree with both sides, because they just didn't uphold their position very well. Uh, John Sanders was way too soft, didn't push the issue with James White on certain issues. And James White uh, didn't seem to really understand the position, or maybe John Sanders' position is different than all the open theists I've read, because there is some variance when it comes to the open theist position on things, to, how they respond to certain things, you know, why they're suffering in the world, uh, you know, why certain things happen, um, etc. And of course, uh, one of my really, really good friends and brother in the Lord, Jesse Morrell, is an open theist. And uh, we've had lots of discussions about this. I've heard him teach on it. 
I've read his articles on it, and I've also read articles from the LibraryTheology.com website, which I am the creator of that website, and Jesse was the one who collected all the resources for that. And you can look at the Open Theist article page and video page, and uh, you can see for yourself I've engaged in all those resources just about. So I've looked at this issue pretty thoroughly. And there was at one point in time when I was considering Open Theism, and, um, you know, even in the open air a couple times at different universities, people would ask me a question about how can man have free will and God knows what they're going to do anyway. And uh, I said, well, maybe this, maybe that. I haven't decided yet. And uh, But I've never been an open theist. I've considered it, even considered it pretty, uh, pretty closely, but never became one, uh, never was uh, proclaiming it was the truth, was just searching it out and figuring things out. Uh, so one of the reasons I'm making this video, like I said, is because there's lots of Calvinists who accuse me of being an open theist. Not that I think that's a bad accusation, uh, because I have most of my, a lot of my friends are open theists. Uh, a lot of people who believe the same that I believe, no original sin, no born sinful nature, you know, conditional security, holiness, perfection, a lot of them are open theists. So I consider them very good friends, and I don't want to offend anybody, and that's why I probably why I've, I've held off so long from doing a video on this, but I think it's about time to do one. And um, so I've had a lot of talks at Open Theist Friends, and um, I still consider them brothers and lord. I just think they're wrong. And uh, Calvinists will accuse me of, of not coming out against them like I should if I think they're wrong. Well, the issue is this. I don't think they're false teachers like you are. Uh, I don't think this issue is as big as the issue of Calvinism versus the Bible. Because I think Calvinism maligns the character of God. I don't think Open Theism does. In fact, I think one of the reason some people believe in open theism is to, is to vindicate the character of God, but I don't think that's needed, and hopefully you'll be able to see why in this video. Okay, so there's three reasons uh, why I believe open theism is wrong. Uh, one is the is philosophical reasons. Uh, I'll get that in here in a minute. Uh, number two is scriptural reasons. There's lots of scriptures I believe open theism cannot deal with, and not only can't deal with now, and I've never seen anyone deal with it, but I don't think ever will be able to deal with it. And that's why one of the reasons, main reasons I'm not open theist. And there's also the historical reason. Uh, you look at the early church fathers, there's no one in the early church that I've seen who's anywhere near an open theist. In fact, they're the exact opposite. They're basically what I believe. Of course, they're not Calvinist either. Okay, so let's start with the philosophical aspect here. Uh, there's three words, three terms you need to know for this philosophical aspect. There's first, certainty necessity, and contingency. Those are the three words. Certainty, necessity, and contingency. Certainty has to do with factness. has to do with knowing something for a fact. has nothing to do with you forcing it to happen or making it happen. It has to do with factness. Uh, then there's necessity. Necessity has to do with an outsized force making it happen, um, which would really be comparable to the Calvinistic view of uh, determination how God decrees or ordains all things whatsoever come to pass. That would be uh, a, you know, akin to necessity. And then there's contingency, which has to do with free will. It has to do with probabilities and possibilities. Can it be this way or can it be that way? And uh, so those are the three terms. You want certainty, which really has to do with foreknowledge. Uh, necessity, which has to do with predestination. And contingency, which has to do with free will. Now, the mistake I think both Calvinists and open theists make is... Uh, basically equating certainty with um, necessity. Uh, if God knows for certain something's going to happen, according to the open theists and according to the Calvinists, they agree on this foundation, then there is no contingency. 
So the Calvinists hold on to their necessity and their certainty, and therefore they give up their contingency. There is no contingency in their view, because God has predestined or ordained all things whatsoever come to pass. So no matter what the Calvinists say, um, there is no uh, contingency in their view. There may be, they may say things like, well, man, we believe man has free will, um, because, you know, as a sinner, he can choose whatever sin he wants. But that goes against what their view says, is God predestines all things whatsoever come to pass. Um, and, or they may say that, uh, you know, once God has regenerated somebody, uh, they choose to repent and they choose to trust. God doesn't do it for them. Uh, but then the question I'd have for them is, is there ever been a time when someone has been regenerated where they haven't repented and haven't trusted? And they would answer no, which means, for lack of better words, they've been forced to repent and forced to trust in Jesus Christ by God himself and by his, uh, his predetermination. And the open theists go the opposite direction. Uh, the, again, they hold to the same foundation. Basically, the certainty and necessity are equated, and now uh, they get rid of uh, both of those things, and they hold on to contingency. Now, the, the open theists will say, of course, that God knows all things. He is omniscient because he knows all things that can be known. Um, and uh, so he'd still be omniscient. It's just the future is not in the realm of knowledge. So it has to do with whether God's in time or not. And that's one thing Calvinists don't seem to understand. They always straw man the open theist perspective on this issue. Um, but, and they would say there's some things that God knows for certain will happen because he's predestining those things to happen. He brings them to pass by his power, and he's already determined that he will do those things. So the only things that God knows in the future that will happen for sure are the things that he has determined will happen. Uh, other than that, the future free will choices of man are outside of, of the realm of his knowledge because the future can't be known these future free will people these free will agents have not determined what they're going to do yet so god couldn't possibly know it so the only thing god knows for certain about the future is um what he's already determined will happen now he knows for certain all the possibilities that can happen because he's he's wise and all-knowing and he understands all things and his brain is way above our brain infinite knowledge um but he doesn't know for certain the future free will act as a man. He just knows what could happen. And, of course, what will happen is in the realm of knowledge of what could happen. Uh, but, like I said, they deal away with certainty when it comes to the future free will choices of man because God couldn't possibly know them because it's not in the realm of knowledge. But, see, I go the, I, I'm kind of in the middle, I guess you could say. Um, I think, that, you know, there, there are two sides of the, of the pendulum, and I'm kind of back where I think the biblical middle is. And I think certainty and necessity are talking about two different things. I think God can know factness, certainty about the future, but people can still have contingency. And of course, the Calvinist open theists would probably both ask me, well, how is that possible? But let me give you a couple, let me give you an example of how I believe that could be possible. Um, and then this is just philosophical now. Um, we'll get into the scriptural reasons for this later on. Uh, philosophically speaking, I know for certain what happened yesterday. Let's just use for example, um, let's say on Tuesday. Tuesday of this week, I went to, with Brother John and Brother Tracy, I went to the uh, University of Louisville to preach the gospel. We were there for six hours. <clears throat> I know with certainty that those things did happen. I know with factness that those things did happen. Uh, but while they're happening, I have contingency, John has contingency, Tracy has contingency, Every person hearing our preaching has contingency, but I know for certain that it did happen. And I think it's the same way with God knowing the future free will choices of man. I believe he knows them all with certainty, 
but I believe that we, uh, before we perform them, we still have contingency. Now, God knows what we will do, but does not take away our contingency or our free will in the matter. So the past is certain, but there is free will when it happened. The future is certain in God's mind, not in my mind, because I don't know God's mind. I don't know everything that God knows. But the future is certain in God's mind, but it's still contingent for me because I have not performed what will happen yet. Um, then this other philosophical issue, this, this is just one I'm going to touch on. Like I said, there's not going to be like a thorough refutation of open theism, but just some reasons why I am not an open theist. Um, the question arises, how can God repent? How can God be sorrowful? How can God be angry? Etc. If he knows uh, what will happen, what man will choose, what he will do in each and every situation. But let me give you some natural examples to help you understand how someone can be angry, sorrowful, sad, whatever it may be, uh, and still know something's going to happen. Take the death of a loved one. Now, I've lost two grandmothers and a great-grandmother in my short life, and I'm sure I'll lose other love, uh, family members and loved ones uh, before I die. It's a great possibility that I will. But the ones that did die, before they died, I knew at some point in time that they would die. Um, I knew they would die because the Bible says they will die. And um, even though I knew they were going to die at some point in time, and, you know, I may see my mother die, my father die, I may see siblings die, I may see children die, God forbid, but I may. I may see good friends die. My friend John McGlone, he may laugh about this, he's almost 50 years old. And uh, if we keep preaching like we are and he gets given a tact like he, he has been, he may die before me. And I may even see it happen for all I know. I mean, I don't want that to happen, but that's a good possibility. But when it does happen, and when my other loved ones have died, I was very sad. I cried. I wept over it. Uh, even if I knew they were going to go to heaven, I wept over it because I was going to miss them. Um, when I got married... I, you know, I basically knew that at some point in time, me and my wife would get in arguments. Or I might get angry with her. I might get sad at things she had done. Uh, my children, I know at some point in time, they're going to sin. And uh, when they sin, I'm going to be disappointed in them. I might be angry. I might chastise them or discipline them for or rebuke them for what they've done. Uh, but that doesn't mean I don't know what's going to happen. And uh, every open theist I know would say that they know that their child at some point in time will sin. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't be sad about it when it happens. And the same thing with uh, loved ones dying. Um, it doesn't mean they shouldn't be sad or upset or angry about it when it happens. We are emotional beings. We are made in the image of God. And, and we're emotional because God's emotional. So God can be angry at sinners every day and still know they're going to continue in their sin. God can be uh, repentant or sorrowful that he created mankind in Genesis 6 and still knew that this, know this was going to happen. Um, so that's how I would answer that philosophical issue. But there's some scriptures, I think, that would help us in this issue as well to see how Jesus, who knew certain things were going to happen, how he was sorrowful as well. Um, let's turn to John chapter 11 and verse 33. It's talking about uh, Lazarus. And I'm going to start uh, after Mary had fallen at his feet, after Lazarus had died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, talking about Mary, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And uh, we saw before then that Jesus actually could have gotten there before Lazarus died, 
And in fact, it says right before this, he says um, in um, John chapter 11, once again, and he says, let's see, in verse 1, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and his, her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters went, sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone stumbles in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. If one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe, nevertheless let us go to him. So Jesus knew that Lazarus would die, uh, which is not a problem from an open theist perspective, and Jesus actually stayed where he was a little bit longer so that Lazarus would have time to die so that he can go there and raise him from the dead. And even though Jesus knew he would raise him from the dead, and then after he rose him from the dead, uh, people would rejoice over it and see a, a great miracle in seeing Lazarus rose from the dead, uh, he still wept. He still wept when Mary and Martha wept, and the other Jews wept with them. He wept with them because he's an emotional being. Just like God's an emotional being, just like we're made names of God, we're emotional beings, Jesus wept. So even though Jesus knew he would raise him from the dead, and that Mary and Martha would become uh, glad because of it, he still wept. And then in John chapter 13, let's turn there for a minute, for another example of Jesus. And this is after Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And let's start in verse um, 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Speaking of Judas, obviously. Now I tell you before it comes to pass, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives Whoever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus said these things, he was troubled in spirit, and testified and said, Most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. So, Jesus is declaring, most assuredly, with certainty, a future free will choice of Judas, that Judas will betray him. He's declaring it before it happens. And if open theists are going to maintain their position of, of contingency at all times, then Judas had some contingency at this point. He could have chosen to change his mind and uh, not betray Jesus. But he decided to anyway. But it, the point I'm making here with this philosophical issue of why, uh, how God can be angry, sorrowful, sad, even when he knows with certainty something's going to happen, we see Jesus being troubled in his spirit when he confessed what would happen when he confessed that Lazarus would betray him. Um, and then another one that comes to mind right off the top of my head is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He 
you know, he was, he sweat drops of blood, and uh, he was troubled in his spirit, uh, but he knew what was about to happen. He knew he'd be crucified. He knew he was going to be beaten by lawless men. He knew these things would happen with certainty, and um, yet he was troubled anyway. So these are some reasons why how God can be troubled in his spirit, or weep, or be sad, or angry, uh, even when we know something's going to happen. Okay, so that's the philosophical reasons, just a few of them, why I reject open theism, and also addressing one of their objections philosophically. All right, let's go to some scriptural reasons here. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, of course, my objections scripturally to the open theist perspective is going to be a lot different than the Calvinist objections. Uh, they'll automatically go to Isaiah chapter 46, I believe, um, or they'll go to John 6 or Romans 9 or Ephesians 1, etc. And I don't think those, those verses actually say what the Calvinists assert they're saying. Uh, so my objection will be different. My objections mostly have to do with the future free will choices of man when it comes to departing from the faith or choosing salvation. And so we look at some passages about that. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, <clears throat> either by spirit or by word or by letters, if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Talking about the day of Christ, the last day when he comes back, uh, not to be troubled, as if that day had already come. And he says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that they will not come, unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So according to the Apostle Paul, the day of Christ, the last day will not come. Let no one deceive you, the last day will not come, unless the falling away comes first. My question is this, how could God possibly know with certainty that a falling away will ever come because falling away according to the open theist perspective of course according to my perspective as well is a free will choice of a man to fall away from the faith or apostatize is a free will choice of man and God couldn't possibly know that with certainty unless of course he was bringing it to pass by his own power but now if we're going to say that we're back to Calvinism uh, so, man has free will in the future, and the Apostle Paul says in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the day, last day will not come unless the falling away happens first. Uh, but for all we know, for all God knows, if God doesn't know the future free will choices of man, for all God knows, no one will ever fall away from the faith. Uh, but this is talking about, obviously, this was written around you know, in the 60s AD. We're talking about almost 2,000 years removed from that, and that day has not come yet. So God is saying with certainty something that will happen about 2,000 years into the future because Christ hasn't come back yet and the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, the Antichrist has not been revealed to the abomination of desolation so that's that's one verse there uh, now let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 now the Spirit expressly says or explicitly says that in a latter time some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons so here we have, once again, the Apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit expressly or explicitly says, sounds like certainty to me, uh, that in latter times, times after what Paul's talking about here, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now this could have been 100 years after Paul, could have, been 50 years, could have been 10 years after Paul, but the point is, it's latter times. Uh, I think it's actually talking about the very latter times, probably the seven-year period of tribulation, 
Um, but that's just beside the point. It's talking about the future from when Paul wrote it. And it was talking about the future from when Paul wrote it, and departing from the faith is a future free will decision of man to give in to deceiving spirits and doctors of demons. Uh, and God, God knows a certainty here. How could he possibly know a certainty if open theism is, is correct? Uh, so that's another reason why I disagree with open theism. Now let's go to Revelation. We've been studying Revelation in our home fellowship lately, and that's been very fruitful to me. But in studying it, I've seen some issues with open theism once again, because Revelation is mostly dealing, in my opinion, with the future. Now, if you don't agree with that, that's fine. Uh, but I, I believe it's very clearly talking about the future. Let's look at the fifth seal, found in Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cry with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who, who would be killed as they were was completed. So now we have God telling these martyrs, people who have been martyred for the faith, to wait for their prayers to be answered, their, their prayers of having vengeance for those who killed um, them and the other fellow martyrs, when their blood would be avenged. And God said, wait a little bit longer until the full number of all the martyrs have come in. Now, two things here. Um, martyring someone, killing a Christian for being a Christian, is a free will choice of a man who decides to kill them. Unless, of course, God's determining this. And it's in the future, at least at this point, when John wrote this between 90 and 100 AD, it's in the future. And um, I believe it hasn't happened yet. Uh, I believe he's talking about the seven-year period as well. But anyway, the point is that how could God know with certainty exactly how many would be killed, or that any more at all would be killed, when killing a Christian for being a Christian is a free will decision? And a decision which these people, if they, if they themselves don't repent and trust in Christ, will be guilty of the judgment day before the throne of God for killing Christians for being Christians. Not only that, how does God know that there will be any more martyrs at all, period? Because, for all he knows, all people who have the chance of being a martyr could depart from the faith and choose not to be martyrs and deny Christ, and there will be no more martyrs at all. So those are the two issues I see with that verse. And um, it, just, it just makes no sense to me how, how God can know with certainty that there will be any more martyrs because, one, will any more be killed, which is the free will choice, and two, will there be any more who are willing to stand fast to the end and be killed for their faith? Uh, so that, that's a problem I have with, with that passage. And then there's Revelation chapter 9 and verse 20. And this is the sixth trumpet here. And... Um, there were three plagues here. There was fire, smoke, and brimstone. The four angels who were bound at a great river Euphrates were bringing about these issues to hurt, to hurt a or to kill a third of the man, uh, mankind. But the rest of the mankind who wasn't killed, we see in verse 20 their reaction. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor uh, nor hear nor walk, and did not repent in their murders of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual morality, or their thefts. So, here we have, after the sixth trumpet, uh, getting towards the very end, after the seventh trumpet, Christ comes back. Uh, so, at the, at the very end, towards the very end of, of the time, sixth trumpet here, uh, God sends a plague, it killed a third of the mankind, and nobody repents. 
and obviously that's the goal God has here, is that they will repent. But none of them do repent. But repenting, according to open theism, according to open theists, is a free will choice. And obviously this is talking about the future free will choice of these men. Uh, but all of the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, or their sex morality, or their thefts. Now, if God wants all to be saved and for none to perish, as the open theists believe and as I believe, but he's speaking about the future free will choices of man, that none of them, after this sixth trumpet is blown, after these three plagues are unleashed upon mankind, to kill a third of mankind, that those who are left, the two-thirds that are left, none of them will repent. How could God know that? If God does not know the future free will choices of man. The only way he could is if he determined it himself. Now we're back to Calvinism, once again. Which obviously I believe is unbiblical. Uh, and you can look at the rest of my videos on this channel to see why I believe it's unbiblical. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to go through two, different, two other small passages here. Matthew chapter 7, uh, and verse 13 and 14. Now, some of the open theist friends I have are open-air preachers. And I'll hear them quote this verse quite a bit. And even if they're not open-air preachers, we have discussions about Calvinism, whether it's true or not with other people like on Facebook or message boards. They'll quote these, these verses or they'll quote these verses to uh, unsaved people um, when they ask them, well, why haven't you had a lot of people get saved in your meetings? They'll say Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way at least to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. So many go through the broad gate. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So there's few who find a narrow gate, many who go to the wide gate, which is hell and heaven. If you will be saved, most will not be saved. But the question is, if God doesn't know the future free, choices of, future free will choices of man, and deciding to go on the narrow gate instead of the, the wide gate is a future free will decision, at least for people who aren't born yet, and people who were not born yet when this was written, around the 60s AD, the book of the Gospel of Matthew, and when Jesus spoke that in the early 30s AD, um, how could 1,700 years, or uh, almost 2,000 years later, how could Jesus know that? How, for all he knows, from that point on, every single human being would go the narrow gate, and very few would go the wide gate. And if that happened for the last 2,000 years, um, then this, what Jesus said here, would not be true. It would, it would be a lie. So, my point is, most open theists treat these verses as if there's certainty. There's some kind of certainty behind it that's definite that many will go to hell, and few will, will go to heaven. Uh, based upon these two verses. And there, if God is an open theist God, he doesn't know the future free choices of man because not in the realm of knowledge, he couldn't possibly know them, then I don't see how they can treat these verses with certainty. It's just impossible if they're going to be consistent. And then there's Peter's denial in Mark chapter 14. Now this is one the Calvinists do bring up at times. And uh, one that I've looked at quite a bit. In fact, this is one of the first objections I have when I started studying this issue. And it seemed to, the answer that I got at first seemed to satisfy me, but they don't satisfy me longer. So I'm really pushing the issue a little harder here. Mark chapter 14, and we'll start in verse uh, 27. Now Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to Peter, to him, Surely I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. So, here we have Jesus uh, saying 
with certainty that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. He emphasizes the certainty he has by saying, in verse 30, Assuredly, I say to you, that today, even this night, before the rooster crows, twice, you will deny me three times. Now, the open case would say, well, God, God knows Peter's heart, his condition, his character. He knows what the devil is planning to do by uh, setting these people in place to, uh, to, get, to ask him these questions. And, of course, God can control the rooster. So as soon as Peter did it the third time, God can make the rooster crow because it's an animal. It's not a free will creature like we are uh, with moral accountability. So those issues are not an issue. But the issue is Peter denying Christ, according to open theists and according to me, is a free will decision. And when Jesus predicted that, it was uh, you know at least 12, 24 hours away before Peter actually did it. And he was, he was saying with certainty, assuredly I tell you, uh, a future free will choice of Peter. Not only one future free will choice, but three. For each time Peter denied, it was a free will choice. I do not know him. I do not know him. I do not know him. And for all Jesus knew, if he doesn't know the, the future free will choices of man, um, how could he know that Peter would deny him even once, let alone three times? He could have stopped at the first one. He could have, at the, After the first one, he could have said, yes, I know him. I've been crucified along Jesus, like he said he would have. Uh, he could have denied him once and then went away weeping bitterly. He could have denied him two times to stop then and went away weeping bitterly. Or he could have done it three times, like I said, or he could have done it even four times if he wanted to. Uh, God would have no idea of how many times he would do it if he doesn't know the future free will choices of man. So the only way God can know it with certainty, once again, is if he's forcing Peter to do it. And no open theist that I know would say that. Um, and when it gets back to this philosophical issue uh, of how God knows the future, the question is how. I don't know how. I don't think the Bible tells us how he knows the future. You know, most people would say, uh, you know, there's some kind of timeline here, and God's looking down on a timeline. But I wouldn't go that far. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know how God, but I just know that he does know, according to what I read here in Scripture. So we've looked at the philosophical issues uh, I have with open theism, the scriptural issues I have with open theism, and now I look at the historical issue I have with open theism. And uh, I'm under the the belief under the impression that if any doctrine is new it couldn't possibly be from God because according to Jude I believe Jude 3 uh, we have back then they had the faith once for all delivered to the saints and no one believed in open theism back then and it's a fairly new doctrine from what I've seen um, I don't see how it could be true so let's let's look at the uh, what the early church some of the early church father had to say about this issue Let's read first from Hermas, around 150 A.D. The Lord knows the heart and foreknows all things. Right, so as obviously Hermas is saying, God foreknows all things. Uh, not just what can be known, but he foreknows all things. That's Hermas, around 150 A.D. Justin Martyr, around 160 A.D. He foreknows that some are to be saved by repentance, some even that are perhaps not yet born. Justin Martyr thoroughly, obviously, believes in God knowing who's going to be saved and who isn't in the future. Justin Martyr says again, in around 160 AD, Let some suppose, from what has been said by us, that we say that whatever happens, happens by fatal necessity, because it is foretold as known beforehand, this too we explain. So, the very issue that open theists and Calvinists bring up is how could God know something and it not be a uh, fatal necessity or it could not be predestined or decreed? The open theist rejects both. 
and the Calvinist um, holds on to both certainty and necessity and the open theist rejects both except for the things that God is going to predetermine which is very few things uh, and then again Justin Martyr 160 AD the word of God foretells that some angels and men will be certainly punished it did so because it foreknew that they would be unchangeable i.e. we remain wicked however this is not because God had created them so for all who wish for it can obtain mercy from God if they repent so he is affirming free will but he's also affirming exhausted foreknowledge but he's also denying uh, the predetermination the God decreeing all things which are come to pass that the Calvinists assert then he got Tatian around 160 AD the power of the Logos talking about Jesus has in itself a faculty to foresee future events yet these events are not fated but take place by the choice of free agents for Logos foretold from time to time the issues of things to come. So Tatian obviously uh, understands the uh, you know potential conundrum here, and he says that even though he foretells future events, they happen by the choice of free agents, and they're not fated. Uh, Irenaeus, or Irenaeus, as some people would uh, pronounce him, around 180 A.D., the Lord has plainly declared, and the rest of the scriptures have demonstrated that eternal is fire is prepared for sinners. For God, uh, God foreknew that this would happen. The scripture, scriptures do in like manner demonstrate this. For he prepared eternal fire from the beginning for those who were afterwards to transgress. And we'll read one more from Hippolytus around 225 AD. God is fully acquainted with whatever is about to take place, for he has foreknowledge. So whatever is about to take place, uh, God is acquainted with it, for he has foreknowledge. Okay, so just to review, that's basically it. Philosophical, uh, scriptural, and historical viewpoints. Historically, I don't think open theism has any, any uh, foundation to stand upon. Scripturally, I don't think it can ha harmonize all the scriptures. They do have some good points from certain scriptures, like uh, Jonah and Nineveh, uh, like Hezekiah having a years added to his life. And uh, maybe in a, video, a later video, I'll deal with those issues. But if they can't deal with these issues, I couldn't possibly become... Aopatheist because God is constantly talking about the future future free will choices of man, and he couldn't possibly know those from the open theist perspective with any kind of certainty, unless, of course, he of necessity caused those things to happen. And then philosophically, I don't think certainty and necessity are the same thing. I think they're two completely different things. I think they're two different words and terms for a reason, and uh, they're not the same thing. Someone something can be certain without being a uh, happen of necessity and can still have contingency in the person who's performing those actions and of course God can be angry sorrowful sad mad uh, even though he knows something will happen just like we can okay that's it for now hopefully you enjoyed the video hopefully you're edified by it and for those who are out there thinking about these things hopefully I gave you something to think about and for my open theism brethren uh, I love you and uh, I don't think you're going to hell I don't think your heretics of the Calvinists say obviously um, I appreciate all that you do, and we just have disagreement here, and I wanted to voice it and give my reasons why for those who are thinking about these things, and I hope I haven't offended you in any way. Uh, but God bless, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed the video.